Well, we are in at the very end of our, uh, our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus kind of packs a punch with his Sermon on the Mount. You know, usually pastors like give you this warm and inspiring, and oh, let's go out. And Jesus kind of knocks you between the eyes with how he ends the Sermon on the Mount. And in fact, it says that the people were astonished at his teaching, the authority that he had. They were just kind of set back on their heels at to what he just said. So if you've got a Bible, I encourage you, open it up. If you don't have a Bible, wave down, uh, down your aisles because uh, we've got some Bibles here. And we are going to be looking at Matthew chapter 17, starting at verse 21. Sorry, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. And we're going to be finishing it off to verse 29. Uh, Manitoba staff, just so that you're kind of in the know, when um, I'll, I'll read Scripture, and at the end I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and your response is? So just be ready, okay? Uh, and when we say thanks be to God, it's not like, oh, thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. It's a gift to us. It's like honey. We enjoy it. And so we say, thanks be to God. Okay, this is like gusto, all right? All right, join me. Follow along as I read. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a, a wise man who, who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell. And great was the fall of it. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teaching. For He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the Word of the Lord. How many of you have ever heard of John... Newton. A couple of you have heard of John Newton. Okay, John Newton was really kind of the um, kind of one of the founders of early evangelicalism, and John Newton uh, was well known uh, for for this saying. And hearing this, when when I read this, I go, huh. In light of this passage, I think the I get it. I understand what he has to say. He says this, If I ever reach heaven, 
I expect to find three wonders there. First, to meet some I had not thought to see there. Second, to miss some I had thought to meet there. And third, the greatest wonder of all, to find myself there. Jesus is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and he, he, he has some really hard words to say. And he is speaking to who? His disciples. It's not, there happens to be other people there, but he's primarily speaking to his disciples and saying, listen, at the end of his sermon, he says, at the end, people are going to come to me and say, Lord, Lord, and in this real, I know you, Lord, Lord, this real emphatic, oh, Lord, Lord. And Jesus is going to turn to him and say, I never knew you because you never knew me. And he's speaking to us, the church, his disciples. Lord, Lord. And Jesus says, I don't know you. This isn't a question of God's sovereignty, of his not knowing us by name. Because God is sovereign over all. This is a question of relationship. A question of affection. And John Newton understood this. Upon arriving to to heaven, after dying and coming to your new bodily you know, fixtures and go, wow, look at this. There's no scars. There's life. I'm the way that God created me, intended me to be. I'm standing in all the glory of Christ and I'm, I'm coming before the judgment and I'm looking around and I'm missing certain people that I was sure were going to be there. I'm seeing people that I'm shocked. I, I didn't exp- Huh. I'm here. Amazing grace. And so we've got to take these words seriously. Because it's, it's a word to the church. And Manitoba staff too. You yourself have got to hear this. Because... Just because a kid comes from Wisconsin or Michigan or wherever they, Illinois, wherever they come from for res camp, if they come on a church bus, we cannot make any assumptions. There's no assumptions here. Just because they come from a church, just because you come from a church, just because you have a background in churchianity, does not mean that at the end of your life that Jesus is going to say, ah, Well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome. Welcome home. It does not mean that at all. In fact, there there might be that chance that Jesus says, you say, Lord, Lord, as if you know me, but I have no clue who you are. Jesus describes a choice that every hearer of the gospel 
must make. Every hearer of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it's easy, it is so easy today to be fond of Jesus. Even to revere Him and call Him Lord. It is so easy. But it is deadly then and it is deadly now to claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ while falling short of true discipleship. In Jesus' day, almost everyone was willing to listen to His teachings. They called Him a prophet. They gave Him all the right titles. Today, even in America, Americans, most Americans, if you look at the, all the, the Gallup surveys, you look at Barna surveys, you look at all those surveys out there, most Americans today would claim that they are Christian. And they, as long as they aren't atheists, as long as they aren't Buddhists, as long as they think well of Jesus, as well, they can call themselves Christians. Because they, they think, oh, those are good teachings. Those are good ideas. That's good morality. I can buy into that. Oh, yeah, I can see how that would work in my family structure. Oh, that's really good. That works well for me. But that is not being a follower of Jesus Christ. Buying into morality, buying into a lifestyle is not it. It doesn't work at all. In fact, it's fake. Today, in the church, to whom Jesus is speaking, there are many, many, many cultural Christians. Many cultural Christians. There are many Christians that perform great acts of service. They might be on committee after committee after committee. They may serve on the discipleship team of the church. They may serve in the worship team. They may even be a pastor. They may be uh, on staff of the church. They may be an elder. They may be a deacon. And they may perform great acts and be really faithful in showing up to these things. But does that make a person a follower of Jesus Christ? Not necessarily. They may be pastors. Culturally Christians, cultural Christians may be pastors. They may be elders. They may be deacons. They may be Sunday school teachers. They may be the ones that greet you at the door doing the sound stuff. They may attend church faithfully. They may be in a small group. But we see Jesus in verse 23 saying, and then I'll declare to them. And this word declare in the Greek is, is a, uh, a courtroom term. I'm declaring as a judge in my testimony that from what I see and what I know, I, I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. You see, because external criteria, external activity, busyness, 
does not equal true faith. You're, Manitoka, you being here and getting paid a meager wage, that does not mean true faith. You signing on to a covenant and working about 38 hours a day, because it will feel like 38 hours sometimes, does not mean that you have true faith. Your service does not mean a, a thing. So we even have to check our own hearts and say, on that last day, am I one of the, the false disciples who followed after the false teachers who said, you know, peace, peace, when in reality there was no peace, who said, you know what, the way is wide and it's really easy to get into the kingdom of heaven. And, and Jesus says, no, no, no. The gate is narrow. The way is narrow. It is difficult. It is hard. It, you must be disciplined in keeping your eyes focused on Jesus Christ, who is the gate, who is the way, the truth, and the life. It is hard work to keep our eyes fixed on Him, the author and the perfecter of our faith. It requires a daily discipline and dying to ourselves and saying, Jesus, I need you more than I need the breath that I have. I'm dying for you. I recognize, Jesus Christ, the work that you have done for me, a pitiful, low-life sinner that is redeemed by grace. That you, out of your glorious perfection, put on flesh, walked around, lived a life I could never live, and died the death that I should have died but would have been ever so inadequate. Jesus, I recognize your work for me. And I will live for you. I will count the cost. And I will work hard for the sake of the gospel taking place in my life first and working its way out into beautiful expressions in my day-to-day life. Jesus says that orthodoxy, correct thinking, correct worship, Jesus says that zeal and even spectacular displays of spiritual power do not prove a thing. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many mighty works in your name? Didn't we do all these things in your name? And Jesus says, you may have done those things in my name, but I don't know you. I don't know you at all. Those works that you performed were empty. I may have chosen as as God who is sovereign and powerful over all, to work in and through that, work through your inadequacies and work through your lack of faith. I may work through that, but you know what? Ultimately, for you personally, it's empty. Even our spectacular deeds of service and working overtime and being underpaid, being working in thankless ministries sometimes 
do not necessarily are not necessarily claims of genuine faith. So the question is, we have to back up to 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. We've got that. But, here's the one who will. But the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. That sounds to me like it could be a lot more work. So what is the will of my Father? That I work my, my tail off, that I serve and serve and serve and serve and serve, that I host a small group and I host another small group, I host another small group, I do this ministry, I wash windows just because I'm trying to be missional and I do it work in a coffee house because I'm trying to, you know, be uh, missional and serve the people and the offer, you know. No. What, what really is the will, God's will? And so many of us, even those of you in the, the college world, you're constantly going, oh God, if you would just write a book for me and tell me what is your will for my life, I would really be thankful. Especially in this job market. What is it? What is your will? Because I need a job. So the question of what is God's will is it seems like sometimes a really ambiguous, kind of cloudy, puffy, nice, yeah, we're doing God's will. Matthew Henry. How many of you ever heard of Matthew Henry? Shame on you. Okay, good. Matthew Henry. Puritan. Um, if you have a chance, read the Puritans. These guys got, got the stuff. Um, Matthew Henry, when talking about what is God's will, he said, this is what God's will is. Now, this is his will, that we believe in Christ, that we repent of sin, that we live a holy life, that we love one another. This is his will, even our sanctification. If we cannot, if we comply not with the will of God, we mock Christ in calling him Lord, as those did who put on him a gorgeous robe and said, Hail, the King of the Jews. So what is the will of God the Father from the beginning of the world to our time where we are in glory with His Son? It's that we believe in Christ. That we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And that we Love our neighbor as ourselves, right? This is that we recognize the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. And it's an ongoing thing that we recognize, man, Jesus is still at work in me today. As he was that first time where I recognized his work in my life. Today, it is just as sweet. In fact, it is becoming more and more and more rich and beautiful and fragrant that when people walk around me, they go, what is about you? There's something extraordinary. There's something peculiarly unique and intriguing about you. And you can say, you know what it is? I believe in the work of Jesus Christ in my life personally. I have repented and am repenting of my sins on a daily, ongoing basis. 
And on top of that, I'm living, I'm striving to live a holy life in my private mind and in my public walk. I'm putting to death all the sins that are hindering me from honoring God and serving His people. And I am loving people. Earlier in announcements, I I talked about Matthew 18. The reason that Jesus has that in there about if a brother sins against you, you first do what? You go to him. Do you know why? Not just because it makes it easier on the church, because it's true love. I love you enough, enough to say, you know what, I'm concerned. And I need to point out an area of sin that if it goes unwatched, it will take you over like a cancer and lead to your destruction. Twenty-four. Everyone then who hears these words of mine. He's wrapping up his, his Sermon on the Mount. Everyone who hears these words of mine. And he puts a qualifier in there. And does them. Everyone who hears these words, and that's speaking to us today, everyone who hears these words, it sinks into our ears, it goes through our minds, we process it, it deeply impacts our heart and probably knocks out some areas of sin and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Can't Manitoba? What's the first song that comes in your house? In your, don't build your house on a... Okay, that's enough. <laughs> All right, so it, regular, if, if this is your first summer and you don't know that song, just get ready. I'm saying it's a lot of, these kids will like scream. They'll have no voice by the end of the summer singing this song. God build your house around a rock. And they'll just keep on going. But Jesus is saying, I, I'm, you can sing all your silly songs that you want to. But here's the reality. If you hear these words of mine and you do them, You'll be a faithful man who is like a man who has built his house on a rock, a sure rock. And I, in the Greek, and this isn't saying that the, our English versions are bad, but English versions always make it a little bit more readable. In the original Greek, just the, the way that uh, the Greek is, is lined up and phrased, it's put this way. Everyone who hears me, me these words... And does them. So Jesus is saying, listen, everybody who hears me, these words, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God. He was with God. He was with God in the beginning. All of Scripture is what? God breathed or breathed out by God and therefore profitable for all kinds of correction, teaching, rebuking, all those kinds of things. We believe that the Word of God is a revelation 
of not just good morality. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ from the beginning to the end. God's original intent, and it ends in revelation with saying, look, this is it. All things are made right and new and fresh and beautiful. And throughout all of Scripture is this red line of Jesus Christ. All the sacrifices, all the law, all those things, the kings and the prophets, all those things are pointing to who? Jesus. So when you hear, when you hear me, these words of mine, and you do them, you will be a wise man. You will be a wise woman if you do these things. Because you know what? It reflects, this reflects me. Be holy as I am holy. Jesus' words perfectly, perfectly express His character, His mind, His will. He never deceives. He never changes His mind. He never misspeaks. He's not the kind of parent who says, do what I say, not what I do. Have you heard that? Have you seen that? Well, there's a lot of integrity there. Do what I say, not what I do. Jesus is not like that. He says, I am true. I am it. I, I never lie. I never misrepresent myself. I never misrepresent the gospel. I never misrepresent the Father or the Spirit. Always testifies about me and it's always true. I am always true. He does what He says. He is what He says. Every word perfectly reflects his mind, his character, and his actions. Therefore, if we would be wise and godlike, if we desire to say, Lord, I want more of you in my life, we should listen attentively and we should do what he says. That we take the word of God seriously. that we don't get on our little soap boxes and say, well, I don't think that this is what the Apostle Paul was trying to really say. I don't think this is what Jesus was real. Take it for his word. And don't think that you are so wise because you have a commentary that you know what, when the grass was the greenest in Jerusalem. His words are eternal and true today for His church as they were thousands of years ago. Jesus is making a point and it's not just enough for us to applaud what He says. We must be faithful in doing what He says. My prayer is that, that the words of Jesus would just absolutely penetrate our evangelical hearts in our minds. That we understand it's, it's not our cultural Christian distinctives that save us. That it's, it's not our, our voting pattern that makes us right. It, it's not even our denomination 
And I understand in this room, we've got quite a width of denominations. It's not your denomination that makes you right. Whether you're from Presbyterian to Roman Catholic to Southern Baptist, that is not what makes you right, although you may think it is. And if you think that's what saves you, come, come up afterwards. We need to talk and pray and walk through Scripture. It's not even our church attendance. It is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that is so profound and so growing that it produces His character, that it produces the character of His kingdom in our lives. Because 26 says that there's some of us that are foolish. And he goes on, foolish is a really nice way of putting it in the English. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a, in the Greek, the word is moros. And that's where we get our word moron. You're a total moron. If you hear what he says, but you don't do it, you hear what he says, but it, doesn't, it kind of bounces off, and it's like, oh, okay. You're just totally missing it. And on top of that, when, when the, you, you may be able to keep it up for a while, but when the waves and the strife and the, the hardness of summer and work and life and marriage and children and work and life and children and volunteering and all these things pile up and you just can't do anymore, you feel so overwhelmed and my head is just busting at the seams, those who are founded on Jesus Christ will remain standing because their only hope is what? Jesus Christ, the rock. But when the work and the children and the marriage and the giving and the this and the finances and the joblessness and all those things hit you and you are a foolish man, what is going to happen? Life is going to fall. And Jesus goes, and great was the fall of it. Great is megas. Mega is the fall. My hope, friends, is that your life is rooted deeply on Jesus Christ and nothing else. That you are dug down deep in Jesus Christ. That you are willing to do the hard work for the sake of the Gospel. That you are willing to cultivate relationships with one another, even when the time is hard for the sake of the Gospel. That you are willing to die to yourself on a daily, moment-by-moment basis. Especially those of you who are interns and leaders and coordinators and supervisors. That on a daily basis you look to Jesus Christ as your supreme example, as the one who has saved you, who took up the cross, the ultimate cross, 
and led by humility and ultimately love for the sake of His church. Miss you a day. Are we doing the will of our Father who is in heaven? Really? Do we believe deeply in Jesus Christ and His work on the cross for us? As a gathered body? Are, are we repenting of the sin? Our sinful thoughts, our sinful words, our sinful actions, whether it be by... Um, Sins of omission or commission. Are we repenting of sin? Are we living a holy life that reflects reflects Jesus Christ and His character? And the values of His kingdom that He's still ushering in today. Are we loving one another in rich ways, in ways that are patient and kind, that require a lot of work. If you've met me, you know building a loving relationship with Paul takes a lot of work. Ask Laura. But I'm pretty sure the same is going to be true with Kyle. Same is going to be true with John. Same is going to be true with Cindy. That we're all Sinners in need of grace and love and pursuit. My hope is that in 28 it says they were astonished at his teachings. I hope that we move beyond being astonished at Jesus' teaching and we move to being fully submitted, whole life worshipers. Of Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for all of us. Some of you are going to go in 10 or so weeks. You're going to go back. My prayer is the same for you. That wherever you go, wherever you find yourself, that you find yourself growing deeply in Jesus Christ loving the gospel more and more, repenting of your daily sins, falling more and more in love with Jesus and having a holier and holier life that reflects Him and loving one another richly and beautifully. We're going to take communion in just a little bit. But here's the thing about communion. One, it is reserved for those who believe in their heart, have confessed with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. But Jesus also says here, not just says Lord, Lord, but hears and does. This past week, I have not been faithful. To my Lord, Savior, to my wife, my kids, my church, 
daily I drop the ball. Daily. And before I come for the Lord's Supper, I need to repent. First and foremost, to my God. Secondly, I need to repent to those that I have caused damage and sinned against. If it's true with me, I hope it's true with you. So before you come up for communion, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians says that we need to examine our hearts. Examine our lives in light of the gospel and God's holiness. I want you to stay seated until you spent adequate time with the Lord. And if you dare, I challenge you, confess to one another. It honors God, glorifies Him, and it's the gospel. Let's pray first. Jesus, I thank You that uh, You are faithful even when I am not faithful. I thank you that you are true even when I am not truthful or when I am deceptive. Jesus, I thank you that your grace is sufficient for me again today. And when I sin in 15 minutes or in 5 minutes or in 30 seconds, God, that your grace is sufficient again in that moment. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit right now moves in each of our hearts and our minds, convicting us of sin. Reminding us of your holiness, but also your mercy and your grace. Jesus, I thank you for the cross, that you paid the price that we could not pay. That through that you gave glory to the Father. that that love that was poured out to us bought us with a price. Jesus, would you continue to make us holy? Would you change us? Would you remind us of your gospel on an ongoing basis? Would you reassure us of our salvation again even now? But Father, if there is one or two or a dozen in this room today who are saying, Lord, Lord, I have done this, this, and this, and this. And you are saying, I do not know you. Lord, may they recognize 
the free gift of your salvation that is found only in Jesus Christ. That there is nothing that we could do on our own to accomplish this, to receive this, but you pour it out as a free gift. God, I just ask that you work in that person, those people's hearts right now. Jesus, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your church, your word. Thank you that we could pray in your name. Amen.